You are listening to Life and Leadership, a podcast designed to connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow. And now your host, Daniel Kitchell. Welcome everyone to Life and Leadership. This is Pastor Daniel. I want to thank you so much for being with me today, where it's going to be my joy to help you lead with love so you will love to lead. Well, as you know, this show is everywhere you want to listen to your music, your books, or your podcasts. We're on Apple, we're on Amazon, we're on Google, Player FM, wherever you want to listen, you're going to find us there. It seems that Spotify is our most popular place. So for all of you on Spotify, thank you for checking in from there. But all of those platforms are really easy to hit the like button, the subscribe button, but most importantly, to hit that share button so we can get the word out about this show. So thank you for listening from all those different places. Many of you also know that we have a website and it's danielkitchell.com and you can even listen to every show from that particular place. We have show notes there from every episode. Also some really important links from the people I've interviewed. You can check all of that out on danielkitchell.com. Well, as I always wanna do with you, I'd like to start with a question today, and here's the question. And as I like to do with every show together, let's start with a question. Who needs to hear your story? I know I found in my life that the most impactful conversations I've had with people has been when they've told me their story, whether it's a tragic story or a story that's full of success. Hearing people's stories and their experiences, it really does change us. It impacts us. It allows us to connect with people in a deeper way. Who needs to hear your story today? I was having some dinner with some young men in my church just uh, here recently, and they're about half my age. I could probably be their dad And as we sat there and enjoyed dinner together, they were talking about some of the things they were going through and and I was listening and and just taking it all in. And then I started feeling very convicted and compelled to tell them my story, stories of things that I went through and things I did when I was about their age. And when I started having that feeling inside that I needed to share that with them, the excuses started to roll in my mind too, that maybe they didn't want to hear my story. Or if I told them my story, that they would maybe not think the same of me, or they might even get up and walk away, or they may never come back to the church that I lead. Or I had all of these reasons just bouncing around in my mind. But then I got the courage and I just told them, I said, I'm going to go to the bathroom. (laughs) And when I come back, boy, do I have a story to tell you. And they were like, well, okay then. And so we sat there in that restaurant and we ended up being there for almost four hours. And I just poured my heart out to them. I told them about things that I had done in my life and mistakes I had made and seasons I'd gone through. And they just listened. And when I got done, they didn't get up and leave. They both started telling me their story. And so I listened to them and the things that they had gone through and our relationship grew through that. I helped them and they helped me. Who needs to hear your story today? And speaking of hearing other people's stories, 
Today, we're all in for a special time because I have Jack Spates on the show with us. For those of us in Oklahoma, the name Jack Spates is very familiar. He was the head wrestling coach at the University of Oklahoma for 18 years. And during that time, the program experienced incredible success under his leadership. Jack coached dozens of All-Americans, several national champions, and six of his teams finished in the top four in the NCAA tournament, bringing home trophies for the program. During Jack's time at the University of Oklahoma, he was also named Big 12 Coach of the Year three times. And in 2006, Jack was named National Coach of the Year. Jack is well-respected among all coaches. His resume is long and storied. But underneath all of that success, Jack was just another desperate, broken man that needed redemption, that needed a restart, a second chance. And with stunning honesty and transparency, Jack is going to lay it all out there for us. The good parts of his life, the not so good parts, the ugly, the times of success, the times of failure, all of it. And he's telling us his story because he wants to help. And I cannot wait for you to hear it. Here is my interview with Jack Spates. Jack, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so glad you're here. Well, thank you, Daniel. It's a joy and a privilege. Thank you so much. I want to I want to dive into your incredible story, um, ups and downs in it, uh, all the things that people are going to want to hear today about you, that just everything about your life. And we're going to get into all of that. But I think a great start to that today is by beginning with a story that I heard about you in a book I was reading recently. And I was doing some research on you, getting ready for this interview. And you talk about very candidly that early in your life, you were you were a believer, you were a Christian um, in a cultural sense of the word, but you took a a long 17 year walk that you say that's correct away from yes, God. Yeah, that's true. took a long walk away from the Lord. And when you were recruiting a young man to come and wrestle at the University of Oklahoma, um, his parents were really excited about him coming to wrestle for you because you were this godly coach that they had heard about and they wanted him to be around you. And the story goes in the book, and I'll, I'll link to that book in our show notes, that you just basically told the, the young man, look, I don't want you to come to the University of Oklahoma and wrestle for me under false pretenses because I'm not walking with the Lord right now. That's what you told him. <laughs> and it's not a typical recruiting point to make. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of people might have, you know, made up something there to just get the kid to sign or whatever, but you told him in honesty that you were not walking with the Lord. Tell us about that story a little bit more. Yeah. If you don't so mind. I actually uh first heard the gospel as as we would understand it as a sophomore in college. Yeah. And did wind up putting my hope and trust in Christ. Right. Big transformation, wound up being greatly used, leading people to Christ that still walk with them today. And then sadly, through a series of circumstances and sin, yeah. wound up turning my heart from God. So here I am many years later, um, a new coach, maybe my second year at maybe third, a University of Oklahoma. 
And I'm out in California at Calvary Chapel. Oh, wow. You may remember Chuck Smith. And great wrestling school. Mm. And I'm recruiting one of the best wrestlers in the country. And I was very public and visible in my faith many years before. And that's what his parents know. Now, Mm. little do I know that his dad is a Calvary Chapel pastor. Mm. And they say, oh, we're so excited about the possibility of having a godly coach. And and I'm like, oh, oh man. Right. And uh, and as ungodly as I was, I, I could not do that. And yeah. I said, well, you know, I, I have to be very honest with you. Uh, I'm not walking with the Lord. I mm. do not consider myself a Christian. And I just don't, as you said, want to recruit you under false pretenses. Yeah. So he wound up going uh, to the University of Minnesota. We actually wrestled and beat him in the quarterfinals of wow. the NCAAs uh, uh, a few years later. Uh, but sometime after that, as God, or many years after that, when God brought me back to my knees, I'm at the high school nationals and I'm sharing with an old teammate what God had done in my life yeah. in bringing me back to faith. And I'm telling him this, and this young coach, a few seats down, who evidently, you know, could hear what we were saying, literally leaps out of his seat, almost (laughs) as if his head's going to hit the ceiling, and says, my mother's been praying for you all these years. Wow. Can you imagine that? The faithfulness and heart of that woman to do that. I wound up eventually uh, calling her and thanking her. For her faithfulness to me. Interestingly enough, uh, my first recruiting trip after that, and back then this was legal, my wife came with me Mm. and we were having dinner uh, uh, at at the recruit's house. And the mother who is Korean says to me, you pray. (laughs) And I wasn't sure I understood her correctly. I said, did you say you want me to pray? And she said, yeah, you pray. And I said, okay. And I prayed and thanked the Lord for our food. And then I told her, if you had asked me a week ago or two weeks ago, I wouldn't have done it, uh-huh. you know? And uh, and then the very next recruit's house we went to, mm. uh, they had us for a meal as well. Right. And they said, well, we hold hands and pray. And as they're right as we're doing that, I look at my wife and she looks at me with the biggest smile on our faces because <laughs> we know we're in a Christian godly home. So yeah. God is good. Oh, what a story. Just to think about that young man running into you and God ordaining that moment to see you at that wrestling event. And it's just awesome that God would do something like that to confirm that people, even though you you were on a path away from the Lord for a long time. People were praying for you. They didn't even know. All over the oh. country. The stories I've heard are unbelievable. That young man, by the way, Josh Holiday, is himself a Calvary Chapel pastor. Wow. So. Oh. Thank you for for giving us a deeper look into that story because it, um, it is one when I read it in the book, uh, it just it really impacted me. I had to shut the book and think about that moment because it just was so powerful. You're even though you you knew you were not following the Lord, you could have easily said that you were, but you just said, I just can't do that. You know, and I, I just think that it's going to, we're going to get into more of that in just a minute. So I want to just, you know, go a little bit back and rewind the, your, the tape of your life a little bit and, and talk about those early years growing up in New York. And mm-hmm. uh, you, you said you grew, you grew, you grew up Catholic. And, yes. and so talk about the early parts of your faith and, and what that looked like for you and, and, 
just uh, let us in on that. So uh, I was born in New York City and, right. and, and just a wonderful life. Uh, one of seven kids, we lived in a 1,300 square foot house with no air conditioning. We never knew it. We lived out on the streets. We'd play all day long in, in the summer, yeah. come in to eat and always family dinner and then go back on the streets. I, never a lack of people you know, mm. to play with. It, it was really a wonderful upbringing. And I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school for nine years, mm. Catholic church for 15. The education was unbelievable. And uh, in terms of my own uh, sincerity, there were times I was very, very sincere. I can remember one time writing a, a note to God, asking him if he wanted me to be an altar boy, putting in my shoe. And when the answer was not in blood and not there at all, the next day I, I was somewhat crushed. Uh. But uh, uh, we moved from New York City to Long Island when okay. I was 15. And you could go to public school and still live. And it was a lot uh less expensive for my parents having seven children. So we went to public school and that was basically the end of my religion, except for Christmas, Easter, and when I was in trouble. <laughs> and uh, so now uh, fast forward, I'm a red shirt uh, freshman at, at Slippery Rock and uh, I'm home at Christmas break. And a guy I had met in a tournament I wrestled in shortly before calls me up and says, would you like to come down to Maryland with me and compete in an open tournament? Yeah, I'm like, sure. So we drive down there and he knows what's coming. Mm. We stay with a young married couple, friends of his, who immediately start talking about Jesus. And I'm like, let me out of here. <laughs> Jesus freaks, right? But they were nice Jesus freaks and I'm not very shy. So I begin to debate with them. I think, I feel, I this, I that. And they're showing me the Bible mm. and saying, but Jesus said, God's word said, the Bible said. Yeah. And I'm like stunned because first of all, I'm 20 years old. I've never read the Bible. Mm. Even in my nine years, I, I know verses were said, but never encouraged to read, nor did I read the Bible. Mm. Uh, secondly, I'm a Christian, right? I'm not Buddhist. I'm not uh, Jewish. And yet they're Christians. But there's all the difference in the world because these are Christians who love Jesus, right. who want to walk in his way, who want to study his word, who want to tell other people about him. And I could not think of one person. I knew hundreds upon hundreds of people. Truly, I could not think of one person that loved God like that or that I could have a conversation with, mm. uh, with the exception possibly of when I was back at Slippy Rock, I had called on these girls in an apartment, some cute girls, and I knock on the door, and a voice says, come on in. And I open the door, and they're all sitting around on the floor with Bibles. Wow. And they said, come on in. And I said, that's okay. <laughs> and phew, I'm gone. So when I go back uh, to school, yeah. I look up one of those girls, and I said, hey, I had a question to ask you, and I was a little sheepish. Would you happen by any chance to be what's called born again? Mm. And she goes, yeah. And that was the beginning of my initial walk with Christ. And and I I asked every question. I mean, I went down swinging. I, I started reading the Bible. I started going to fellowships. I started going to church. Uh, I met with a priest. 
and eventually, to the best of my understanding, put my hope and trust in Christ, mm. which is hard to believe, having fallen so greatly and for such a long period of time. There were there would be many that would say, well, you didn't come to Christ, and I would have no quarrel with that. Sure. But, you know, I don't think it's important. I think the key is, do I know Jesus now? Yeah, right now. You know, and does the fruit demonstrate that now? But uh, And I would say for those uh, Catholic listeners that might be listening, you know, uh, because there are Catholics whose faith truly is in Jesus Christ. But I would, I would encourage you and and challenge you in this way: do not rely upon your Catholicism. Mm. I would say to to Baptists, yeah. do not rely upon that. Do not rely upon your baptism. In in Romans two eight, uh, Paul says, "No one is a Jew." who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew who is one who is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the mere act of the flesh. And so I would say, do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you live Jesus? Mm. Because that's what Christians do. They honor God with their obedience. And when they fail and when they sin, which we all do, they honor him with their repentance and confession, running to him to seek that forgiveness and that purification, and then beginning once again to seek by grace through faith to honor him with their obedience. That's awesome. I love the don't depend upon you know the you know the labels that we have sometimes of what what denomination we are or our Catholicism or whatever. I mean, it is if it's not about Jesus, it's missing the mark. Period. That's exactly and I, I, right. I love that. I, you know, those early years in your faith, Jack. Um, you know, just hearing your story um, off these microphones and 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 doing my own just dive into your life. You know, you have talked about how, you know, it was uh, for you early in those years in your life. It was a a faith that was more about do's and don'ts and. Uh, a morality of of this is what you're not supposed to do, and this is what you're supposed to do, and and when and we might use the word fundamentalist or or fundamental or whatever, but maybe just a morality based faith where um, you had this tension happening in your life where you were you were having to really really think about um, you didn't really have the idea what a relationship with God was like. Maybe it was more about your behavior. Is that a fair statement for you? Actually, no, okay. uh, in that I think that people did teach a personal relationship right. with Christ. and But in this particular church that we were directed to, uh, and there were good and godly people there that loved Jesus, but it was a fundamentalist, separatist church. Mm-hmm. Fundamentalist in the sense not of the fundamentals of the faith. They yeah. did have that. But in the sense of a cultural movement that sought to uh, pursue holiness, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But in such a way as the emphasis was so much on what you don't do. Right. You don't go to movies. You don't uh, listen to secular music. You don't dance. You don't, you know, and and Colossians tells us that that emphasis is not helpful mm. to the curbing of the flesh. Yeah. And I found that to be true. And there's also a pride that goes along with that. Well, I'm I'm just a little more spiritual than you are because I don't do this and I don't do that and I do this. And then a second area of emphasis was 
there was an emphasis on the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, which also is a good thing, but with an emphasis on knowing it to show everybody else where they're wrong. Yeah. And that fit into my personality. I had a debating. I was <laughs> involved in speech and debate, you know, when I lived in the city. And, and, yeah. and so that fit into my personality, but it's not a helpful thing. Mm. And I've had to learn and relearn that as we go to the word, we don't go to acquire facts and knowledge, mm. but we go to meet Jesus and to learn more about him and know him better and know more about the life he calls us to live. And he doesn't call us to be prideful, mm. even in our knowledge. And he doesn't call us to just acquire facts. Yeah. He calls us to, to live him. Mm. So in a way that others can see. So I'm a really slow learner, <laughs> uh, but these are some of the things that, that yeah. I have learned and continue to learn. Sure. Why would you, and maybe to help our listeners out a little more, you know, why do the, the rules and, and, and maybe, and maybe the law is the, not the perfect word for that, but wh why do they not curb the flesh? Why do they not stop us from doing things that are unholy or, or participating in sin or struggling with that? What, what, what do you think the deeper, you know, that's, that's a that great is? question. And I think there is an element, you know, in which, you know, you tell a kid, uh, well, Irma Bombach used to say, if you want to fill all the potholes, basically go tell the three and four year olds, do not fill these potholes. <laughs> that's true. Okay. So I think in that's and good. of itself, you know, to the extent that our flesh and mm. we still have, you know, the flesh, uh, it, it tends to rebel against such a thing. Right. And then I also think pride. Yeah. You know, I think there's a pride that, that builds one up and we go wrong when we go in that direction mm. and it makes us vulnerable. Sure. That's good. That's a great answer. And I, you know, I, you know, I grew up, I, I became a Christian. I was uh, born again, as you mentioned, the young lady. Uh, you asked the question of the young lady, the cute lady in the <laughs> in her in her room and with the Bibles on the floor, and she, you know, you reached back out to them about being born again. I was I was born again at the age of eleven, and that's when God really called me uh, to Him, and it was a very real experience for me at that age, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, and I was brought up in a great church and um, around great people, um, but I was also it was in the, it was in the, uh, the nineties, the early nineties. And there was a lot of, um, just moral gospel being preached. I felt, and, um, not in, I don't think it was malicious or anything like that, but it was just about, you know, here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. And it even came down to as a teenager, you don't listen to that rock and roll music or, you know, we were burning CDs at church camp and, you know, all the things that go with that time frame and all my, 90s kids will relate to that, you know, by hearing that. But for me, I, I just remember as a young age, having a lot of shame and a lot of guilt when I would do something wrong. Mm -hmm. I, I just felt this um, weight that I would just mess up and that God was mad at me and, and that I had to, you know, pay some type of penance for that, you know, and I, I felt like my relationship with God was just, sometimes I, it was based on my performance mm -hmm. and, and that was a real part of life for me. Um, and, and I think I carried that into my early twenties and, um, but I, God's really changed my mind about that in my heart and give me a new heart about what it means to follow him. I don't, I don't do, um, certain things, not because I want God to like me, but I, 
I do them because I love him and he loves me. And that's that relationship. Does that relate to you at all in, in, in my story and telling that? No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, first of all, salvation, Scripture declares, is for by grace. Mm. Are you saved through faith and that not of ourselves? It's the gift of God, not of works. Yeah. We're not saved by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy. Mm. So there's a point in time when you realize that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He is the sin bearer that God has sent to save us from our sin. Mm. Okay, so that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the Bible uses, and I, I challenge my Catholic friends at times, you know, the Bible does use the word saved. Yeah. And it was curious to me that I was never, I never heard the fact that I needed to be saved. And mm. if you say, well, you know, if you're in the Catholic Church and practicing the Catholic Church, maybe to some extent you are saved. But I never heard that other people needed to be saved or that we should tell them of that great need and the wonderful good news yeah. that Jesus Christ has procured this salvation. So one, we have to understand uh, that salvation. And then secondly, that's true of our sanctification. We don't all of a sudden turn over a new leaf. I'm just going to be better or do better. It's in growing in the grace and knowledge of our mm. Lord and really understanding his way. And one of the one of the key points, Daniel, is that uh, I didn't, even, even in the church that I was in, and they taught Bible, I didn't understand sin. Mm. And I didn't understand the why of sin. So yeah. much of it was that this is what God says and this is what. Yeah. Well, of course, there is an element of truth that if God says it, we should just do it. But God is gracious in his word to use the word for, explanatory gars in the in the Greek, for, for, to explain things to us. First, that he is a good God, that God wants our good. When I when I turned away, I thought the Christian life didn't work. And it really doesn't, unless you live it. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's good. And if you think that life is found. I used to think that I knew God had the answers vertically, mm. but horizontally, and I think you find many kids who are in this, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. You think the world has the answers this way. That's absolutely not the case. Right. Okay. But the, and that's part of the reason God doesn't want us to sin because one, when we sin, we can't reflect him as the good and wise and loving and caring God that he is because sin's going to schmuck up our lives and everybody else's. <laughs> and that's the second thing. Right. You can't really experience life when you're in sin. Yeah. And for some people that get caught away with what I would say is a misunderstanding of grace, as if sin isn't that big, big a deal, you show me a person, a professing believer who's living in sin habitually, mm. and I'll show you either a believer who's not a believer right. or a believer who's miserable because mm. that's what sin does. Yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, one of my favorite passages is a passage which for many years I didn't understand. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me from gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And then he says this, for my yoke is easy yeah. and my burden is light. And I can remember thinking, really, Jesus? <laughs> really? Your yoke is easy? Because I'm like thinking this is the hardest thing in the world. Yeah. 
Well, Jesus wasn't saying that walking with him was easy. It can cost you your head. It can cost you your job. Right. Okay. It can cost you your freedom. But what he was saying is it's not walking in his way that's going to rob you of your peace, mm. your joy, your hope, your purpose, and your life. That's what sin does. Right. Walking in Jesus's way, I truly believe now with all my heart, is the way that brings life. It's the way that brings life in relationship. It's the way that brings life in marriage. It's the way that brings life, life in, in eternity. Yeah. And, and we need to understand that God's commandments are not burdensome mm. and they are good. Now they can be misused. Right. Okay. When they become the thing, as you were saying, as opposed to no, Jesus is the thing. Right. So I tell in, in my Bible study studies, I tell, when you struggle, when you stop, keep looking to Jesus. Yeah. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. That's really good. Thank you for that. I, I even, you know, just told my church just a few days ago um, that one of the biggest mistakes we we make in our lives is we we hear a sermon or we're in a devotional or we're in our own personal quiet time and we we feel these inclinations to to make these promises to God these these checklists of this is what I'm going to start doing, God, this is what I'm going to do for your kingdom. And, and even that can be dangerous because then we, we don't follow through and then we feel guilt and shame for not meeting what we promised to do. And I've, I've done that a lot in my life as well. This performance idea that I'm going to do all these things for God. And what I told my church and what I want our listeners to hear today, and um, that I think is such a powerful uh, reminder for us, we don't need to pray that God would help us behave or that God would allow us to um, check all the boxes of our lists lists that we've made, we need to ask God to give us a new heart. Because when you have a new heart, everything changes. And we just miss that sometimes. God is all about making all things new. That's what he does. He loves it. And we like to, we like, we're prideful. We we like to do things on our own accord. And uh, we like to, uh, we like checklists. It makes us feel good. But ultimately, if we want to change, God has to have our heart because God is all about making things new. Yes. No, that is exactly right. And this is one of the reasons, and not in a uh, legalistic sense, that right. you have to meet God in the morning. There may be people that work all night long. Well, they better get some sleep because they're going to be <laughs> nodding off as they're reading their Bibles or right. seeking to pray. But but. It's about cultivating that relationship yeah. with the Lord. It's a, as you said, a relationship, getting to know him better, seeing him in his word, meeting him on your knees, or if you can't, then in, in the car as you're driving or as right. you're doing your walk, or if you're a younger guy, doing your run. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's out of that that we seek God to be faithful. Yeah. That's the key. That's great. How how can I reflect you better this day? What would you have me to do? Where would you have me to go? Mm. If you know where you're going to go because you have a job, well, help me to reflect you there. That's good. Thank you. Well, let's talk about, you know, and just a simple question. You you have this this foundation of faith being built up in your life. You're, you know, you're have these encounters with God. You feel like you've given your life to him. But why did you ultimately turn away? Yeah. Great question. Sad question. Yeah. But I mean, uh, I know this is really going to connect with people. It's just, you know, what is, what's the the basic, simple part of the 
turning away and walking away for so long? So uh, it's rather multifaceted. Sure, but sure. when I grew up, for whatever reason, extremely sexually promiscuous mm. from the earliest of ages. Mm. And uh, I tell people that what sin does is it caresses you. And it feels good, right? That's why we sin. There's pleasure in sin, Hebrews says, for a season. Yeah. And then it grabs on. Mm. And it leads you places you thought you'd never go and will keep you there far longer than you want to stay. And so even as a believer, I struggled with this. Yeah. And so did a lot of the kids in the fellowships. There was sin going on. And, and I could say that for many of them and myself, it was never something that I ba- abandoned myself to. You know, I, I did grieve and I did, but nonetheless, that's there. Now, now God is giving me grace and, and I'm not going there, but I'm still struggling with my mind, still struggling with my heart's there in, in some ways. Sure. And now I'm, I'm reading the Bible, reading the Bible, reading the Bible, but a lot of it's to, I, I wound up going to seminary by accident, actually. Yeah. And uh, I'm learning and loving this learning. And it is impacting me, but maybe not in the way that it could have if I really understand why I'm reading to know God better. And so on one hand, you know, I, I am loving the Lord, but now I'm reading more and more to know and even engaged in ministry with with a heart, I want to honor God, but I'm pursuing it in the way I do my coaching. Yeah. I'm going to outwork and outsmart everybody as opposed to outpray, you know, and outlove. <laughs> sure. And uh, so that does not lend itself to a good end. And then there were some circumstances uh, in my life in which I've always loved everything I've done. And now I don't. Mm. And that is really challenging me. And had I been more godly, I would have understood that God has me here for a reason. If I'm faithful, he'll either give me a love for that which I'm doing or he'll move me in another direction. But I, instead, I go back to find affirmation where I had found it so so long in the flesh mm. and in sexual sin, mm. in looking mm. at things and then in doing things, yeah. and 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 I became an adulterer, and then as I mentioned, sin grabs on. Yeah. I became a chronic adulterer, mm. and I mean, as I look back now, and I see how I was, it it, it, it astonishes. It's like me. you were living a you're like you're a different person. Yeah, exactly. You know, talking about exactly. someone you didn't even know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and that's not the path of life. Yeah. And it wound up in the ruination of a family and the crushing of a good woman who deserved better, mm. hurt my children who I loved, but sadly, not as, a, as much as I love myself, yeah. you know, and uh, men, and this is true of women as well. If you're struggling with this, you need to know where that end is yeah. and you need to know what happens. Okay. And that is not the path of life. It, it, see, See your children being crushed. Mm. See their mother being crushed. And and this is not what the way or the purpose for which God has made us. Yeah. He's made us to be men, to love and to lead and to protect, to stand in front of your wife and in front of your children and say, nobody and nothing gets past me. 
not to bring such ruin because you're a selfish, unknowing. You read the book of Proverbs, pig. Yeah. Wow. Jack, that's, uh, there's a lot there. And, you know, and I'm thankful for your transparency and, you know, and I can't help, but just want to know for you, you know, you, you have this long walk and journey away from the Lord and you're, you know, struggling with sexual, um, sin and, uh, you know, the harm it's doing to your family and your kids. Um, what did it look like for our listeners out there that just need to give, have some hope here that this can be, you can make things right. What did it look like when you had to make things right with your kids? Let's start there. Well, should I start with coming back? First? Absolutely. You can, yeah. you can go any direction. I know you, you, um, you know, you really got, God brought you to your knees and brought you new life. Yeah. And so let's, all let's that. go so there. Cause go sometimes ahead, yeah. I leave that out and people say, well, how, how <laughs> yeah. exactly did you come back? Sure. And I would say that the first thing was the general dissatisfaction of life. Mm. And, and this is kind of funny because if you say, so you weren't happy. No, I was happy. I was happy. I've always been a cup half full guy. Yeah. And I didn't have a whole lot to be unhappy about, but there's a big difference. If you were to ask me uh, back then, so you're happy, yeah. But do you have peace mm. and joy and rest? I would have laughed because I would have known what you meant. And I would have to say no. Yeah. I was getting everything I wanted, but it wasn't meaning that so uh, you have created us, oh God for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. I didn't have that rest. Yeah. Nothing was ever enough. Not enough women, not enough success, not enough. And so you're constantly scratching that itch and it's not enough. So I would say that's the first thing. Yeah. Then God used a series of circumstances. I had a heart attack and my heart attack didn't make me run back to God, but it did make me grateful. When I was in oxygen and I had a pretty good idea I was going to live, because had I not been in the wrestling room, I, I probably wouldn't have, because that's how the danger I was in with wow. my arteries. And I actually smiled, and I knew this was going to be good in my life. I knew that this wasn't life, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, and so that, I started saying thank you to God. I didn't right. really know who anymore. That's how hardened I was. You know, you mentioned struggling. I had stopped struggling long ago. I was a slave. I had oh, just wow. given myself over. Yeah. There's no struggle. And that's why there wasn't that hypocrisy. You know, I didn't consider myself a Christian. I knew I turned and that's who and what I was. And I was comfortable in it. And what a sad thing that is. But now I'm grateful. And I start to say, thank, thank you. And then I start reading some different things and, and some non-biblical things. And I can remember reading one book, Conversation with God. And I remember thinking, this is just downright silly. Anybody's really going to believe this, you know? And then started getting back in, in, into the Bible and reading the Bible. And then I had, now my wife is gone for years and I have outwardly, sadly, many girlfriends. Mm. But I have one girlfriend who's my main girlfriend and she's just hoping that I will love her. And I can't love her because I love me too much. Mm. And she eventually leaves. And that rocked me. I had never intended on winding up with her, you know, but it rocked me nonetheless. Yeah. And another thing to ask me, 
is this who you are? Is this, and actually that happened before I started reading uh, the Bible and stuff. I was saying, thank you. But now, now I'm, I'm starting to see, see God, who are you? Where are you? What are, you know, and yeah. I remember uh, reading the Bible now and then uh, going to church and then making an appointment with the pastor. And I told him my story and I told him, you know, I, I don't consider myself a Christian. Uh, I don't really use that word anymore. I use the word follower of Christ, but That's I don't good. consider myself that. <laughs> I said, but uh, uh, I said, but I, I truly, I wouldn't know how to become a Christian because the best of my knowledge, whatever one's theology would say, I truly did put my open trust in Christ. I truly did surrender my life and believe on him. I said, but 17 years. And he said this, he said, you know, Coach, with you, 17 years is a long period of time. He said, but with the Lord, one day is as a, as a, as a thousand. And as he's quoting Peter, I start crying because oh, I man. know that passage. Yeah, and not big cry, just a little sniffle. <laughs> and then he says, let me ask you a question. When Christ died for your sins, how many of them were future? Yeah, All the ones up to the point where you turn back are all. And I started sobbing. Mm. sobbing in his office. I'm the wrestling coach at the University of Oklahoma, and I am crying like a baby because I know God has me in the palm of his hand. And I really think, and I don't know this, and it may be that I didn't know the Lord, but I think because of my struggles with the world and the flesh and my, my envy in a sense of them, I think God said, well, go taste eat of that fruit. And see how it tastes. You know, it looks good and it smells good. It actually tastes good. And then it rots in your stomach and it rots you and it rots everybody else because that's what sin does. And that's what life apart from God does. Even when, you know, we seem to be good moral people doing the right thing. There's there's no purpose. There's no hope. There's no forgiveness. There's no life. And so that was the beginning. And the interesting thing is my, my wife, my girlfriend, rather, had had gone. She had met someone who would love her, but we had vowed to stay friends. And then uh, she's looking and seeing what's happening in my life, and she's thinking, how in the world did this happen? <laughs> and she's talking to me, and I said, I, I don't want you to talk to me about this. I mean, I did talk to her, but go talk to the pastor because I didn't want to come in the Christ because she still loved me. Yeah, You know, go talk. And she wound up coming to Christ and someone directed me. I don't know if you've ever met a guy by the name of Mark Burgett, godly man. He's involved in search ministries, successful attorney. He actually, after having been out of the law office for maybe 10, 15 years, Governor Stitt asked him and he became his lead counsel. Wow. And, uh, uh, but I'm meeting with him. Someone said, you need to meet with this man. I'm meeting with him. And then I'm telling him the story and I'm telling him about my wife. And I said, you know, she could really use someone to mentor her. Mm. And he says, well, my wife uh, actually mentors women. Let me talk to her. And so she began mentoring my wife, Barbie. And then I said, you know, I could actually use someone to mentor me as well. <laughs> and he began mentoring me. Yeah. And, oh, what a grateful thing that I was so grateful to Mark and Elaine Burgett and for others who utilize their time to mentor and disciple other believers. Wow. I, I love the, the you know, just the checkpoints in the story. You know, you you, you just had gotten so discontent with the what you were doing, the loneliness that was often probably felt there. 
Um, you have a heart attack. Um, your girlfriend breaks up with you basically. And sometimes that's God's just most gracious act for us just to be busted and just to be brought to our knees because that's how much he, he loves us. And I, I, I love, uh, and I'd like you to, to, to give us this quote one more time. Cause I think we need to hear it. You, you mentioned about sin caressing. You say yes. that quote one more time. For yeah. Us. So what sin does, it caresses you and yeah. it feels good. And then it grabs on Yeah. and you can't get away. Mm. And it will always bring and the phrase I use is room brokenness and bondage. Yeah. And life is found in Christ. I would argue that apart from a relationship with your creator, God, mm. you really have no meaning, purpose, or hope. Yeah. Now, can you live in hope? Yeah, we're all inconsistent in many ways. But what is your hope if you're just going to live life for 20, 40, 80 years, and then they're going to shovel you in a hole in the ground? And what's sad about this, Daniel, is this is what many kids are figuring out. When I grew up, suicide was a very rare thing. It was always there. Yeah. But when you heard of someone that killed themselves, you go, they killed themselves? They took their own life? You know, mm. now you ask any middle school kid, do you know someone that's killed himself? Yeah. And they do. And that it makes perfect sense. Yeah. If your end is just to be shoveled in the hole in the ground, if you are just a an accident of nature, and that's your end, and your life is good, you're gonna want to live it. But if your life isn't, and for these kids, many of them, their life isn't good for six months or six weeks or a weekend. And they decide, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, It makes perfect sense. But what a tragedy when you understand that there's a God who loves them, who wants so much more for them, but that this God is also a holy and just God and sin demands penalty. Yeah, And there's only two people that can pay the price for your sin, either Jesus Christ or ourselves. Jesus because he alone is God, able to represent God, yet man, able to represent man. The only one who lived a sinless life, sadly, as wonderful as you are, you couldn't <laughs> die for my sin, and I certainly couldn't die for you. No, sir. And he's the only one who conquered sin and death by yeah. rising from the grave. For those who live in the struggle of this life, this life is not the end. There is a place with no more pain and no more suffering where God himself wipes away every tear. Wow. Well, it's obvious that God did a great work in your heart when you were meeting with that pastor and the tears were flowing. And, um, but did, were, were people buying what you were selling? Did they believe that you were different? Did you have people that doubted that you had changed? I mean, were there friends and coworkers or even athletes here around that, that maybe, I don't know, was there a struggle there with that for you? Well, the change was pretty dramatic, yeah. and and people that knew me knew that that I was living it. Okay, the people that didn't, or maybe that weren't around me. This is a funny story. So, my first speaking engagement, I'm asked by a banker if I will speak to a group of men. I think I think it was Iron Sharpens Iron. It okay. was First Baptist Church in Norman. And a group of about 50 men that meant for Bible study. And he calls me and asks if I'll do it. And I'm thrilled. And I said, absolutely. And uh, and then I call him back. And I said, hey, here's the deal. I said, there are going to be some people that find out that I'm speaking at your church <laughs> that are not going to be real excited about it if they don't know what God's done in my life. Oh. So I just want to give you a heads up. Yeah. I want to let you know this is who I was and this is what I was doing. And now... 
this is what, and I'll share more what God has done. And, but you need that heads up. So when I got done speaking, he got up. And he explained how when he invited me, I accepted, but then I called him back and said, hey, you need to know. And he said, the first two people that he spoke to after that, uh, the one guy was actually uh, an administrator at OU. And he said, you asked who? <laughs> and and then at the end of it, uh, came up and gave me a big hug. And the other guy knew what God had done. He said, well, praise the Lord. Awesome. You know, and uh, so- we do have to live in such a way that would prove, yeah. you know, a, a change in yeah. transformation. So, so back to the question, you know, you've had this change and, uh, and I appreciate all of the, the details because I think it's important, but you're, you have to make this right with your family, yes, your kids. And yep. Give, take us in that moment, what that was like for you to apologize. And yeah, well, it, it wasn't difficult in the sense of, the wanting to do it, sure. you know, but, uh, you know, it's hard. Uh, my, my ex wife was a wonderful woman who deserved better. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I have repented her on numerous occasions and she always has forgiven me, but forgiveness, it, it, it's not that easy. And, and of course we have enemies in the Christian life and, people, not people, but spiritual forces of evil speaking into her mind, like, seriously, you're going to mm. let this? And so she's forgiven me and forgiven me and forgiven me <laughs> and forgiven me. And that's okay. Right. That's okay. We keep, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Mm. But she, it, it's really night and day. In fact, I'll tell you a neat story. Two times ago that she visited, our youngest daughter is still here in Norman, Oklahoma. And uh, a few years back, uh, she was coming to visit my daughter, uh, Jenny. And, and, uh, I said, Hey, I want to ask you something. And I said, and this is probably be very hard for you. And if you tell me you don't want to do it, I understand completely. Yeah. So there's no pressure, but I'd like to, uh, have you come over for lunch. And I think it will be a tremendous testimony to our children. And she agreed. And came over. And then the last time was she, she was in town, she did the same thing, which I think is a tremendous demonstration of grace and godliness on her wow. part. And then my children, uh, the same thing. They know I'm sincere in my faith and they know I'm sincere in my love for them. And, and, uh, they have forgiven me, but it doesn't mean that there aren't hurts that are still there or, or, uh, traits that are still there as a result. Yeah. you know, of my sin. So sure. sin brings, as we know. So Wow. Well, um, I, I, I just love the, you know, the thought that you give, gave to men, especially that we're to stand up and protect the family. And I, I love the idea that you are standing in front of them and nothing gets by me. But when we're in love with ourselves, everything gets by us. And what's all about us and our sin and what we want, that's when we leave our family really vulnerable. And do um, you want to speak to that anymore about that imagery of just standing in front of your family, protecting them and and what that might look like for a man yeah. that's listening to this right now that might be in the same, you know, the same enslavement, like you mentioned, you know, you weren't saying you were struggling, you were enslaved. Yep. Yep. And that's what sin does. So first yeah. let's get back to the gospel. Yeah. So 
for a lot of people, getting saved is just asking Jesus in your heart, you get to go to heaven. Well, it's not about uh, just getting to go to heaven. God's purpose encompasses so much more than that. He wants to make us strong, mighty warriors for Christ. He wants our lives to count both for here and eternity. He wants to use you for the transformation of your life and the transformation of so many, many lives, okay? And for the good of others, you know, those that are poor, those that struggle in life. And so is your life counting? You know, if it's all about I, me, and my, ultimately it's going to be a very empty and shallow life, and it's not going to echo for eternity. And it could wind up being a very tragic, tragic eternity. Right. So God wants to save you, not just in the sense of saving us the past tense of salvation, salvation from the penalty of sin, but he wants to save us from the power of sin so that we can become more godly. The, the Bible talks about your progress in the gospel, about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So learning to live the lives that he calls us to live, not perfectly, of course, but faithfully. Yeah. And, and, and then, of course, the future tense of salvation, which is our ultimate hope that we won't always be broken. We will be transformed and we'll be like him when we see him as he is. And our world won't always be broken. So this is hope and this is life. And men, he calls you to be godly men, mm. to love your wife. And, and and I will say this, and I just taught this at one of our studies uh, the other day. Sometimes people say, but I don't love her anymore. Huh. Well, there's a very easy biblical response. Start. Because... Huh. Love is not a gooey feeling, and love is not just a word. Love is acting in the best interest of someone else. And if you know Jesus and and you start loving and honoring your wife, which will include repenting to her when you, when you fail, confessing your sin, it will include forgiving her, yeah. okay? Then you'll start to find life in your marriage, and your feelings will follow. So that's the key. You know, be men of honor, love your wives, love your children. And the fruit of that will be so much greater. Proverbs tells us that if we give ourselves over to sin, like that sexual sin, yeah, at the end of our lives, you will groan and say, oh, how I hated instruction. I tell you now, I groan and I say, oh, how I hated instruction. So a friend of mine, actually, the guy who just called a few minutes ago, mm -hmm. he asked me, he was sharing the struggle and his sin. And he said to me, do you live your life with shame, knowing everything I've done? And the answer is, no, 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 no. I don't live my life with shame. I know that Christ has borne my sin and he has borne my shame. I live my life with joy. I live my life with hope. I live my life with forgiveness. But I do live my life with regret. Yeah, I marvel at Hollywood stars. <laughs> I wouldn't change a thing. Seriously? <laughs> do you have a conscience or a memory? <laughs> right. I change a billion things. Yeah. But I'm so grateful for the forgiveness and for the life that Christ has given me. Mm. That's great stuff. So we, um, obviously, everybody uh, knows that, especially in, in Oklahoma, that one of your, um, your greatest um, eras of your life was, you know, being the head wrestling coach at the University of Oklahoma. And, um, you know, in, in the midst of all, all of your struggles and all that, God blessed you to do that. And, and I'd like to just take a, just a little bit of a, 
um, just a different path for a moment about that. And um, tell us where you were at in your life when that opportunity opened to come here to to the University of Oklahoma and and what the program was like when you got there and um, how that all matched up with you, how you were personally and what the program was like and how driven you were with that, those moments. Well, you know what? It's an interesting thing because I really didn't want to come initially. Yeah. Uh, I've always loved the place I've been. I was at Pitt when I decided I coached at a Bible college where I went to seminary right. for years. And then I was out of coaching for a while. Now I'm coaching at Pitt making $11,800 with a wife and four children. Huh. And my wife didn't work. She would substitute now and then. But yeah. I mean, I did clinics, banquets, substitute taught, but I love what I was doing. And one day I came in the office and the head coach, I was the head assistant, said, I got bad news. Well, bad news for us, good news for you. I said, what? He said, West Point wants you West Point. as their head yeah. assistant. I said, well, I'm not going. And he said, well, when you talk with them, you might. And I was getting with camp about twenty-eight or $29,000. So I'm in the big money now, wow. right? And I had to go. You, yeah. I couldn't live, you know. And, and so we went there. And then uh, then Cornell actually came knocking on the door. And uh, once again, I had no interest in going, but it did turn out to be a great opportunity. They didn't have wrestling for kids at West Point or in Highland Falls with the high school. And we could never have afforded to have a home, a very expensive area. Yeah. And so I wound up going to Cornell and loved it and 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 big, big things. We went from like ninth to to uh twentieth to fifteenth to tenth in the country to uh I'm sorry, ninetieth to uh nine and ninth to wow. sixth to third to winning the last two Eastern championships with nine of the twenty champions. And and what happens now is Another school, which I won't say, had contacted me the year before, the day before their job closed. Oh, wow. And encouraged me to apply. And my assistant said, uh, you're crazy. This is a great program. This is, a, this is big. But I love what I was doing. I love my kids. I love. And, uh, well, the next year, uh, Oklahoma, uh, the job opens up. And they didn't contact me, but I guess my name, people were calling me was on the radio and, and in the papers. Yeah. And, uh, and then there were some challenging things in the situation I was, it made me look at it. And once I looked at it, you know, I wanted to come, yeah. I wanted to come. And uh, so I wound up coming out here and we did some neat, the, the previous coach had done some great things. And then as he got older, there were challenges and, you know, attendance had really fallen off and as had their success. And we came out and, and, uh, and we worked in, in dream big dreams and yeah. and uh, and we did some neat things. We uh, wound up having six top four finishes. Four of them were uh, top three in the nation. You get trophies for top four, yeah, and uh, and then some five and some sixes and a number of top tens. And we did a lot of neat things. We saw a lot of great kids do great things because interestingly enough, Daniel, even while I'm an immoral wretch. In one way, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I always wanted uh, kids to do right and be right. I wanted them to get their degrees. Mm. I wanted them to do well and excel in class. And we, I've had a number of doctors. I've had dentists. I've had uh, world champions in WWE. I've had <laughs> movie stars, and, yeah. and and our guys have, for the most part, done very very well. And I'm proud of that. And I encourage that. And uh, so there was that little bit of hypocrisy there, yeah. you know, but uh, we saw that. 
but it was never really what it could have been mm. because I was a double-minded man in, in some respects. Yeah. The thing that saved me is for most of my life, I had an ability to get to bed at 11 to 12 o'clock and then get up at four without an alarm clock and just go, go, go. Wow. And that saved me so that we were able to have the success, but we could have done so much more. Yeah. And you say you could have done so much more. And and I remember I was reading a, an article about your retirement from from the University mm-hmm. of Oklahoma. And and, and you said you, you maybe maybe not the exact quote, but you felt like you left some things on the table that you wish you could have done more and been more successful. And and what I feel like I'm hearing you say is that you might have had more success if your personal life had been together. Yes, is that fair? because just in terms of time, yeah, I'm spent. Good thing I didn't sleep much and I had such energy because I was taking time to pursue these other things. Yeah, and I will say this also, because oftentimes people will say, "Well, what about then when you came?" to faith. And certainly that ended. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I will say, I really didn't know completely how to incorporate a biblical worldview in my coaching. Right. Okay. And also there were some character traits like one, I'm from a fiery family. Mm. Okay. And I have a temper and I come by it honestly <laughs> with my dad. Yeah. You know, and there were situations. I love my kids. I, my, and when I say my kids, and it, I don't mean just my children. I love my teens. Okay. But I had a temper and I can recall situations where I would just be yelling at guys. In fact, I do two leadership academies a year for our national association. And in one, I talk about one, not yelling, talk, talk, communicate, communicate. And then the other thing is, separate discipline from practice. We would come into practice and that's when we'd get all our reports, missing study hall, missing class, uh, you know, our grade reports. And I'd be like, guys, how can we talk so much about this? How can we tell you stories about people that have been so successful? How can we, and, and here you are, you're missing class again, Joe, you're not going to study hall, Joe, what, you know, and that's not the time to do it. Yeah. Going in the practice should be a fun and exciting time. And I would tell war stories and motivational stories yeah. as well, but separate the discipline from practice. Don't even have it in the room if you don't have to. Sure. But if you have to, let them get showered and dressed and come back in and then chew them out, but not loudly, kindly, and you know, speak softly, carry a big stick yeah. if you have to. So your your conversion your conversion away from that life you were living it happened when you were at the University of Oklahoma those yeah oh yeah that change happened yes. and so yes. what do you think that you your coaching style changed in those moments as well too like or do you think that it was kind of a gradual shift no my or? coaching style changed and yeah. of course and and I'll tell you a neat thing so as God was drawing me back before I'd come to true faith I'm taking two men. Uh, there's a thing called the coaches all-star meet They mm. where the two best guys in the country at each weight compete. And I've got two guys competing in it. And as we're driving to the airport, uh, this is Bo Manus, who was a big 12 champ for me and, and uh, the AD. And, oh, I actually, yeah, I know you're bo- one yeah. of your bosses, I guess, in a sense, right? <laughs> he is one of what my bosses. I, yeah. And what a precious, godly uh, family man and, and great wrestler and great coach. And Whit Durden, who was third twice in the NCAA, little freckle-faced Georgia boy, and he's now <laughs> Dr. Durden. But we're in a car driving there, and I said, guys, I have something to tell you. 
God's working in my life. Mm. And these guys were in tears because they prayed for me. Oh, they prayed wow. for me. So, you know, that's just really precious. But I, I, there were still things that I didn't understand about the Christian life, mm. you know, that I had to learn. And I wish for the sake of some of my wrestlers, I had learned it a lot quicker. Yeah, sure. But now I'm able to help coaches. If I coach now, I'd be a way better coach than I was before. Sure. Apart from I can't go to bed at midnight and get up before uh, <laughs> sure. as much. Sure. Well, just I know this might be hard to answer, but what you're you were at Oklahoma for eighteen years? Yeah, Is that's that right? right. Eighteen yes. years. What was the high point, competitively speaking, for you? Then you look back and you see all the things you were able to do here and and have such a good reputation on the mat and with your teams and your success. What was the high point? Well, I, that's that's probably twofold uh, in the sense that when you see guys being successful in life, when you see guys turn things around, mm. you know, we had kids, when you see guys come to Christ. Yeah. But even apart from that, when you see guys who are going down the wrong road academically and they're, they're ready to fall on their face and then they get the vision, you know, I would ask guys all the time, so what's your grade point going to be? And sometimes guys would say, well, I'm going to get a 282, which sounded very suspicious. So I'd be like, <laughs> so what do you have to do to get a 282? How's that look like? They didn't know. They yeah. just heard people saying what grade points, you know. <laughs> but eventually they catch visions. And the C guys, uh, Gary Barber was a young man who he was academically ineligible for a semester, and he's now Dr. Barber. You know, uh, Byron Tucker, and I don't take – success for this, but he got in graduate school provisionally, and then he got in uh, uh, full-time, and then he got in our dental school, and then yeah. when he graduated, he got a postdoctoral scholarship to Michigan, then he got a postdoctoral scholarship to Harvard, and now he's Dr. Uh, Byron Tucker, dentist, uh, doctor of dentistry, and and he's got his own practice in the Tulsa area. And let me let me share one story, and yeah. this is not a not an Oklahoma story, but <laughs> if ahead. you go to Chick Fil A East, and I encourage you to do so, there's a guy named Nick Malden, and uh, I was coaching at West Point, and I wound up recruiting four guys from Shawnee High School. Okay. One of them, three one year and one the next. One of them was Nick Malden. And Nick Malden, and he tells this story, so it's not shame on me for announcing it publicly. <laughs> he was the lowest guy we ever got in, and we couldn't get him in West Point. We got him in the prep school. And that was a gift. And toward the end of the year, the West Point recruiters would come down because just because you were in the prep school didn't mean you had to go to West Point. Right. Nor did it mean you were going to get in. So they come down and uh, they have these half hour interviews. And now a guy's meeting with Nick. He says, so cadet candidate Malden, how are you doing? He said, well, pretty well, sir. And he said, so uh, tell me, what'd you get in your SATs? And these are old scores. He said, well, sir, I get a 700. He said, well, that's wonderful. Was that math or English? <laughs> to which Nick sheepishly replied, well, sir, that was both. <laughs> and the guy laughed and said, that's a good one. I like it. And, he, and as he says wow. that, he opens Nick's file. And Nick said his face turned white. And he said, Mr. Mold, let me ask you a question. He said, how did you get in here? He said, well, sir, I'm a pretty good wrestler. He said, you must be a great wrestler. <laughs> he said, you know you're not getting in West Point, right? He said, well, my coaches think I can. He said, son, there's no way in the world you're getting in West Point. He said, well, sir, my coaches think I can. Wow. And I went down. He said, well, son, here's the deal. 
You listen to your coaches. You do everything they say. Have a nice day. And that was the end of the interview. Well, I went down uh, a few weeks afterwards and got together with all the guys. And then they were all leaving. And Nick said, Coach, can I, can I talk to you? Yeah. And I said to him, Nick, before you say one word, I just want you to know this. Regardless of what you tell me, because I thought he was telling me he, he wasn't going to come, I want you to know that I love you. And he mm. says, no, Coach, it's not that. I want to come. I just don't know if I can do this. And I said, Nick, just keep fighting. Just keep battling. Well, about 20 years later, he came back to West Point for his second to last tour of duty. And he was over the training of the entire Corps of Cadets. So all you listeners in the Norman, Oklahoma City area, you go to Chick-fil-A East. <laughs> and when you see this bald, pretty bald, uh, little chunky guy now, uh, about 5'11", uh, with a big smile on his face, you give him a salute because he's a hero. Oh, wow. And those are the stories that, and yeah. so many others that are that just make it. And then wrestling-wise, I would say every time we got a trophy at the yeah. NCAAs, you're, you're up there in front of all your peers. You're getting those trophies. Yeah. You have guys – winning national championships. And I, I started a tradition. I would write songs uh, for our national champions and perform them at our banquets. Nice. And I was smart enough to always accompany myself with people that were actually <laughs> talented. But uh, so it was fun. That's great. Well, it's, it's interesting because I was at the University of Oklahoma um, getting my degree uh, when you were the head coach there. And so I remember hearing about you and, um, and, and just reading about the team and um, but you know, the one person that I always remember the name of when I was going to school was, um, and it, not even during school, but even, you know, post all of that, uh, Michael Leitner. Oh yeah. Right. And, yep. um, you know, just knowing the success he had, um, what, what stands out, you know, obviously he's, you know, people know him around here. He mm -hmm. coaches at the university of Oklahoma now as an assistant. Yep. Um, what was it about him that made him different? Well, I think you have to say it begins with his family yeah. because uh, his family are just wonderful people. It's such a tight-knit family. Yeah. But they are, can you say badasses? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> they <fine>. are They <laughs> are tough. I remember we're wrestling uh, uh, Nebraska, and he's a freshman. He's got a nationally ranked guy, maybe sixth, eighth in the nation. And he takes a whooping that day and, and then trots on over to see his family afterwards. He's got a smile on his face. And his dad says, I'd be getting that smile off my face if I was you. Wow. We didn't come all the way this way to see you, you know, get your butt handed to you like this. And Michael was just a fierce competitor yeah. and a brilliant technician. Mm. Uh, two, two things. One, there was a guy from Oklahoma State. It wasn't one of the coaches that basically said, light don't break your heart. In other words, he's a small town guy. He's had a lot of success. He's not going to make it at the next level. Well, he made it big, four-time Big 12 champion, first one of the yeah. Big 12 right. in wrestling. Uh, he was a four-time All-American, three-time national finalist, NSA champ, and world team. And uh, he just was a great competitor and, and a tremendous technician. But – this is this is typical of Michael. So now he's fifth in the nation as a freshman, national runner-up on that center stage mat to Doug Schwab, a great one from the University of Iowa, and uh, Schwab beats him. The next year he makes the finals again and loses a little bit of an upset to a guy named Carl Perry from Illinois. 
Now he's in the finals again as a senior, but the weight of the world is on him. Yeah. He's got he's got uh uh Doug Schwab again. I think I'm gonna say Mark. He's got Doug Schwab again. Right. And uh he's 0-3 against Doug Schwab. And the matches all go the same. Lightner's ahead and he pushes and boom. He he gets beat right at the end. Well, our assistants came up with a great game plan uh where his his uh his basic points were breathe, relax, and move your feet. Okay. You got to breathe and relax because when you, you have short breaths, you get more tired. So breathe, relax. He'd go out of bounds. He'd stroll back and shaking his arms out yeah. and then in his stance, ready to go. And in that third time, he beats this Doug Schwab and claims his national championship. And as I said, went on to make a world team, uh, college graduate, the university of Oklahoma, now assistant coach, Michael Leitner couldn't be proud of That's him. That's awesome. What year was that when he won the national championship? Oh, please don't ask me that. Uh, they <laughs> all, make a number they all rolled together. <laughs> sure. I, I couldn't even tell you. No. I see some of our guys. I was just at a wedding with a bundle of them and like, did you wrestle with so-and-so? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it all runs together, but that's not a bad thing. It just uh, means you did it for a long time. Yeah, somewhere around 2000, yeah. somewhere around there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was obviously when I was going to school there at OU. Well, I I, I know we have some coaches that listen to this show, and, and so hearing those responses are are great for them, you know, to hear um, the comp- competitive part of it, athletes you've coached, and – and so I just want to just begin to pull this all together here. And um, one of the things I heard you say one time, and this is kind of where I want to leave it with you to, to finish this, is um, you, you said something along the lines that you just you cannot have faith without failure. And maybe the opposite's true, too. Sometimes you have to experience failure to have faith. Maybe it's cyclical, you know, like that. Mm. Um, but in reference to your life, um, what would you like to say in regards to that statement and, and well, th- speak live to our listeners? Yeah. Here finish so, up. so thank you for that. And when you think about it, the essence of the gospel begins with that we're sinners yeah, and that we have a great need. And, you know, if people are really honest with themselves, you know, let us erect a huge giant screen and invite all your family and all the people you esteem and even your enemies. And we show an instant replay of your life, everything you've ever done everything you've ever said, everything you've ever thought. That's right. You think we're going to stand before a holy God and say, hey, look how good I am. Right. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God, the good news of the gospel. And Jesus said this to the Pharisees who are questioning how he can hang around tax collectors and prostitutes. And he said, it's not the healthy you need a physician, but the sick. Yeah. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And what they didn't realize is that they were unrighteous, that they needed forgiveness for their sins. They were in their pride, they thought, and it's pride that separates us. We have to come to that point where we realize we are sinners and we need forgiveness. Mm. We need a life outside of ourselves to come in. And, And that's the life that Christ provides. And I would encourage you men to seek the Lord your God, put your hope and trust in him, He will delight in forgiving your sins and making you a new creation and will not stop working. Even when you look like you're down and out, he'll keep working to restore you. And then the other thing is love your team, love your kids, love your kids so much. There was a lot of pride in my 
coaching. And I think you see this in temper when kids are blowing it. It's like you're blowing our opportunity here. What we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Well, understand this. It's a tough time for kids as well. And I did have a lot of compassion and a lot of love, but there could have been more. Love your kids. That's what most will be remembered at the end of the day. Mm, that's good. As long as you're winning at the University of Oklahoma, too. <laughs> that's true. That does help for sure. No doubt about it. Well, um, quick summary of just what you're up to now. What, yeah. what are you up to now, you and your wife and uh, your family? Yeah. So, uh, one, we live a crazy, crazy life. We just had two of our sisters, two of my sisters up. I've got three brothers and three sisters. And mm. my one sister said when she left, we could never keep this pace up. <laughs> I'll be, uh, I'll be 70 in July. I don't look a day over 69. That's, but, right. Uh, That's right. But, uh, we, we do try and live our life. And so yeah. we have real estate properties that most of our retirement is in. And so of course we manage those. And then, uh, we're greatly involved in our church. We're mm. in a church plant, a hope community church where we really identify the worst neighborhoods in Norman, guns, drugs, gangs, violence. And, wow. and those are some of these young people literally move in those neighborhoods and, uh, it's tough. It's a lot of up, a lot of down, mm. you know, and, uh, but, People come to Christ, and then the hope is, especially with the children, that they'll hear and see Jesus. Yeah, and uh, and then we're greatly involved in a mission to Iran. Uh, many of our listeners might not know that the church in Iran is one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Uh, believers are coming, or people are coming to Christ uh, by the hundreds of thousands and millions, yeah. and and uh, in Afghanistan as well. And God is at work. And uh, we've actually had many of them. We held banquets for years until COVID. We had uh, we held them at First Baptist Moore, yeah. and we had about 500 our last banquet. And Goodness. we bring Iranians in that have come to Christ, that share their story, that can no longer go back. Some have been imprisoned and eventually escaped. And but oh my heavens, to hear their faith and their love, and you know, I I used at one time I. Even as a believer, you know, I'm taught to love all, all people, but you don't necessarily like them all, you know, and I'm wow. thinking, well, Iranians, I don't know about this. They are the most loving and passionate and fun and sincere people, and they hate their regime. But uh, when you see what God is doing in their life, it is very, very special. So we're engaged in that. And then I teach a number of Bible studies. Yeah. I uh, so we just, whatever door the Lord opens, yeah. we try and go through. Well, I'm thankful you walked through this door today with me. It means uh, a lot. So I, I, I know that this, uh, this interview is going to help many and uh, I can't wait to see the results of that. And, um, so I just want to thank you for coming on and being honest and transparent because we all have a story to tell and we all have things that people need to hear that can help them know that there is hope. And that they can, they can overcome. Um, and if you're ahead. struggling out there, yeah, you know, years ago, like in some of the circles I went, if you were struggling, the last thing you were, could do is say, "Hey, I'm falling on right. my face here." But I think people and believers understand that we can be transparent because we are sinners. So if you're struggling, don't struggle alone. Yeah, you know, get a godly friend. Go to your pastors. Go to you know someone that lives and loves Jesus and get the help that you need. Mm. Iron will sharpen iron, and uh, that will be a good thing. And you'll be more of a man or woman of God as a result of it. That's good. What a perfect way to end it. 
thank you, Jack, for your time and may God bless you and, and all the things you're involved in now. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jack. Aren't you glad that Jack shared his story with us? Wow. To hear him walk us through the ugliest, darkest, loneliest parts of his life, but then show us how he found redemption. It's just remarkable. And I've been praying that his story would give you hope that maybe today, you know, your life is out of control, that you're entangled in sin and you have no more control over it. It controls you. Like Jack said, there's no longer a struggle. You're enslaved and you need help. Today is the day to say no more, to get on your knees and to seek forgiveness from God, and then to reach out to the people that you need to ask forgiveness from, to go talk to the counselor that can help you, to reach out to your pastor that can pray with you and and share the love of God with you. Or maybe today it's just calling that trusted friend and just saying, I need help. Eventually, time runs out. Eventually, life is going to feel like it's just caving in around us, and we don't ever want to get to the point of no return. Today is the day of salvation, to turn to God, to turn away from ourselves, and to find hope and to find redemption. Jack's story is proof. You can find faith in the failure. God loves to work there. Jack's story really spoke to me clearly in this one particular area. He said he was living a double life. He had all this national attention from being the head coach at the University of Oklahoma and having such success on the wrestling mat with his team. But his personal life was falling apart. And that speaks to the very thing that I've said from every podcast episode that we've had together, that we must lead from who we are inside, that our personal life is the most important part about us. But I've been in that spot before where Jack was, where I looked good on the outside and in the public world, it looked like I had it all together and figured out, but my private life was unraveling. And eventually it all eroded underneath me. We can't live like that. They've got to match. If we want to lead, we have to lead from who we are and our integrity and our character, who we are inside. That's where it all starts. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. It's just an honor to be a small part of your life. And I just can't wait to work together again, where it's going to be my joy to help you lead with love. So you will love to lead. Thank you for listening to Life and Leadership with Daniel Kitchell. We hope that you're with us again next time as we connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow.